Hello everyone, welcome to episode 144 of the Enfocus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Good time of the day. <laughs> uh, and this week uh, I'm going to give you my closing thoughts on Hellpoint. We're going to talk about Bravely Default 2, uh, finally, uh, a discussion we bravely defaulted to the week after release. Um, and uh, a rhythm music bullet hell game called Everhood. And Tori's been catching up on the Resident Evil series, so we'll uh, catch up with her and how she's finding that. With that, let's jump into updates from the previous episode. Okay, just uh, my updates really this week. So uh, I talked about Hellpoint last episode and I had quite a number of problems with it, most of them technical. Um, Now... I've since finished it, I uh, struggled through those performance problems, and uh, I have some more thoughts on that. So uh, last week I talked about how it seemed to have unreliable hitboxes. Uh, I since worked out that that was specific to two particular areas, um, which is really weird because they're the two areas that they give you a choice between after the first proper boss. Both these areas also have the worst framerate performances, um, which is also weird because there are bigger, more complex, more expansive areas in this game much later on that uh, behave fine. Um, yeah, so whichever one you don't pick first, you get to come back to later. And it wasn't until I came back that I made that correlation with the uh, hit detection bug. Um, yeah, so the the one thing that I didn't notice any pattern on, though, was the hard crashes, which only got worse. So it would crash every few fast travels. Uh, it would crash during the developer splash screen while reloading after a crash. Uh, lose to a boss, have a crash. Beat the boss, you can have a little crash as a treat. L- light at the end of the tunnel, I, I had to scroll through the developer uh, Cradle Game socials to see if anyone else was raising the same things I were. They were, uh, and each was met with a commitment from Cradle that they would fix it. Uh, they've already identified the crashes as a memory leak, which is something we discussed briefly uh, last week in, in relation to the crashes. So uh, yeah, that's good. So it's um, promising that they're going to stick around and, and have a go at fixing fixing the game and hopefully bring it up to par with the PC version. Did want to end with some other comments that weren't about the technical uh, problems and you know give it some praise because it did, did do some uh, other stuff really well. Sort of double-edged sort of criticism. I enjoyed the setting more than I did its lore and dialogue. By the end, I didn't really care enough to understand what it was telling me uh, so that really affected like the choice I had to make when it uh, came to the ending like I, I didn't really feel invested in either side uh, the other thing it does is uh, it's another one of those areas where it sticks too close to the Dark Souls formula and is a bit of a retelling of Dark Souls manipulation where it's like sure you're really special just like all the other slaughtered chosen undeads that you found along the way but in this it's way more explicit and the the end boss uh, actually tells you, like, hey, you're you're in fourteen percent of the people that make it to this stage. Um, whereas it's more um, explorative environmentally in Dark Souls, so it's a little on the nose in in comparison. It's it's definitely something they could have done to let go, in terms of their own fandom of of Dark Souls, you know, which I did appreciate in other areas. But you know, at a certain point, you have to strike out and and take your own direction with it uh another positive that i didn't really get into last week is that i really enjoyed the variety of the areas in hellpoint which really tied in well with the colonial station 
kind of vibe you know each, each area exists for a purpose each feels like uh, a natural place that people would explore if they were inhabiting the station so that was really cool uh, and the last praise i would give it is that if uh, if they fix most of these technical problems i could be uh, persuaded to go back for a new game plus uh, and catch up on some of the npc quest lines i missed and i think there was like two optional bosses that i might have missed and, and didn't come across so i would like to go back and check those out and i lied there was another update from the previous episode andrew you hit a game-breaking bug in cathedral yeah, the third boss is unbeatable, or I should say, if you do beat the third boss, the game immediately crashes, and I did it three times in a row, same thing happened three times, so hopefully they get that patched soon so I can finish Cathedral, but as it is right now, at least in the configuration that I'm in, maybe there's something else I've done, some item I've picked up, who knows, that's making that happen, uh, but hopefully they can get that patched and I can finish the game but it's not going to happen right now. Yeah, i got to love those uh, sequence-breaking uh, bugs. <laughs> I got hit with one in, on Broken Sword on uh, Game Boy Advance, which was a really good port apart from that, but uh, <laughs> forever bugged. Okay, uh, so with that, let's uh, move on to the things we've been playing this week. Okay, uh, Andrew, you've been playing a music rhythm game called Everhood. Uh, you were quite excited about that last week. Uh, which is interested in how that one panned out for you. I got a code from this from Stride PR, so just up front with that one, I, I did get this game for free. So when I say very positive things about it in the next few minutes, keep that in mind. Chill! <laughs> uh, Everhood is a music rhythm bullet hell adventure with 8-bit graphics, and how it really works is uh, you explore this fantasy world and you meet up with these fantasy creatures who all want to fight you for different reasons and i use the term fantasy creatures broadly here one of the first fights is actually against an atm which you need some money from and uh <laughs> yeah uh and every enemy has their own song uh, as most enemies do in video games but that really matters here because in this game when you fight enemies you appear at the bottom of that five lane board from the guitar hero series and many other rhythm music series and just like in those games as the song plays shapes come down the board in the different lanes that represent the different notes of the song and instead of trying to hit those notes to make the song i'm supposed to dodge those notes to keep from dying hmm. and you, you spend most of the first part of the game playing on defense just like that all you're, you're trying to do is just survive the song not do anything else but there are a few variations on it like there's one song where you're actually playing tennis with another character so it's actually shooting tennis balls at you and you have to line yourself up with them and knock them back and there's another scenario where you're playing as a warrior the chosen one in a, a tabletop rpg and there are red notes in the songs that you're actually supposed to intercept and hit those back at enemies but for the most part in the game you're just trying to avoid getting hit by the notes and you can slide left and right you can jump up over them and those are really the only tools you have and there's a lot of different musical styles in this as well. Uh, it's all electronic music, but th there's a, a variety of different speeds and tempos that the songs play as, and there's a lot of different instrumentation, so it's not just the same thing over and over and over again. There's a good variety of music. 
And you play as the Red Mage, who is this wooden doll. Actually looks a lot like Gino, except they're red. And their arm is stolen by this character called the Gold Pig, who hoards a lot of stuff in his kingdom. And you're supposed to navigate the world to get your arm back. And that only takes about three or four hours to do, depending upon how much difficulty you have with some of the songs, but a lot of the songs are actually optional. You don't have to do them, and those are the harder songs. Uh, but once you do get your arm back, then the credits do run, kind of. So it's it's kind of like you've beaten the game, and, and the eShop page does say that this is a five to six hour game. I got to that point in three hours. So I thought, well, maybe the game continues past this point, and, and it does but not to five to six hours to a considerably longer <laughs> extent than that because the game changes a lot after you recover the Red Mage's arm because he gains a new ability to use in fights. Uh, at that point, you can use the arm to grab notes just before they strike the Red Mage, and if you can get two of the same color in a row, then you can fire it back at the enemy, and then you can actually damage their hit points. And you're supposed to go back through the world, and you're supposed to defeat every enemy in the game. There are 30 total that you're supposed to track down and find, and there are a lot more spirits out there than I had to fight just to get the arm back, so there's quite a bit more to explore. <laughs> I definitely went over six hours trying to finish this, and I didn't even finish everything because it was just so hard I could not do it. There are different difficulty options, but I I just didn't I didn't want to drop the difficulty down. I wanted to do it on on the default difficulty, even though that proved impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really cool game. It's a really smart game. Uh, it's a really fun idea, and it's executed really well. And there are a lot of weird typos in it. It looks like they didn't proofread the script very well, but I, I'm not sure if that was on purpose to put some kind of effect in it. Like maybe it's a story written by a child. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell. But maybe they're going to patch that in the future and get the script cleaned up because that was really the only major flaw I saw in this game was the at times childish spelling and grammar <laughs> but i thought everhood was really cool i really recommend it if you're into music games or if you're you like those indie games that are just really unusual and do things you would never see done in a, a big triple a game because this definitely embodies that space i i really enjoyed everhood nice sounds really interesting um there was another rhythm action game i had my eye on on the eShop, which was double kick heroes which is like a a metal um, zombie apocalypse game where yeah. they're just going down the highway. That looks cool. I was interested in that one, but it's just I don't like metal music, so I didn't want to play an entire <laughs> game that was metal music, especially like when I get to metal songs and Guitar Hero and Rock Band. I'm just like, ugh, here we go. My my fingers are gonna hurt and my ears are gonna be mad at me, and I'm gonna be bored. I just I don't like metal <laughs> music. <laughs> I I always had the opposite with. Um... Guitar Hero in that I would get to the metal songs and go, oh no, but then find them the most fun rhythmically. 
Um, there was a Slipknot one. I am in no way a Slipknot fan. Uh, um, but there was uh, one of those on Guitar Hero 2, and it was amazing to play. Was that the I Am the World Before I Am a Man, whatever that song is called? Yeah. yeah. I Am a Worm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what really fun. What the hell is that song called? I don't remember, but I was really glad when Rock Band 3 came out, and I could mysteriously delete that song from uh, my hard drive so I never had to play it again. I, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't know why that song is not in the playlist. Yes, I do. I hate that song, so I deleted it. Is it <laughs> Before I Forget? Yeah, yeah before it. I forget. That song before was in Guitar I Hero forget. 3. It was in Rock Band 2. Just <laughs> expletive, that song. God. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll tell you what is metal. Zombies, uh, which aren't in Resident Evil 4 or 5, but Tori's been playing them anyway. <laughs> King of Segways. Um, now, be careful, Tori, because what you say here will lead me to judge you from this point on and forevermore. I think... Especially around one of them. I know. I know. <laughs> it's not is, universal praise. You're in trouble. Four is everyone's favorite, but I think it's an Ocarina of Time thing where everything that it did has been done better since. That's absolutely untrue. <laughs> <laughs> Ocarina of Time has been repeatedly outdone, even by its own series. Twilight Princess is way better Ocarina of Time than Ocarina of Time is. And nothing has surpassed Resident Evil 4. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe Dead Space, but no. No. Well, <laughs> I'll try and be, be as objective as I can be. Um, Why? And this is the internet. This is a review. Be opinionated. <laughs> I'll, I'll, give, I'll give my thoughts as well, but I'll, I'll state things as they are. Um I think part of the thing is I've been playing through the whole Resident Evil series, starting with the remake of two and then three remake, and then jumping into four, it is kind of a step back in time. And it does make that sort of difference in controls and user experience more obvious. Um, Cause you have much more of it is present in your mind to kind of make those comparisons um, I think Yakuza is a similar situation where they've remade like the first couple of games, but they haven't done the ones in the middle. So it's a like a glaring difference in uh, not necessarily quality, just approach. And I guess it, it's kind of like a zeitgeist in it's like a snapshot of game design at the time. It's a Burning Crusade situation. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, Resident Evil 4 is quite a departure from the more horror, uh, survival horror sort of gameplay of 2 and 3. I believe this is the first time that it's an over-the-shoulder shooter, Mm -hmm. I guess you'd call it. There's much of a heavier emphasis on weapons this time as as well. Um, You you got your stuff like your upgrades and a shop. Um, I don't think 2 and 3 in the originals even had that. It was just what you found is what you get, though you can't buy ammo. Hello, stranger. Yep. Always lifting that cloak (laughs) of his. But I think out of the two that I've played so far, four and five, I think four is definitely the better one. I don't think that's a controversial Mm -hmm. opinion by any degree. No. Even as someone that likes five, I totally agree with it. It it felt more cohesive. And um, I actually kind of like Leon Kennedy as a, a character. He's like a big dork in this in um I, I believe two was the first time that he showed up showed up 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's much more of an awkward dork, and this time around, he's much more of an awkward dork that's seen a few too many action movies. <laughs> it's a very particular brand of someone trying to emulate someone who's got a um, who keeps their call in a, a situation. Uh, the, the overall plot of four is basically it's very cliched. You're Leon Kennedy, and you're sent to a foreign country to rescue the president's daughter are you a bad enough dude <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah describing it like that kind of made me um iffy on the premise but it's handled well enough it's not it's one of those genres it's like a horror light genre where you're not meant to take it that seriously it is what it is i don't think it even takes itself all that seriously the Voice acting is a little stunted. <laughs> um, That's how you know you're playing a Resident Evil game. Exactly. I'm not criticizing it on that. I'm actually saying that it adds to the charm of the game. Um, I was really worried about, at, at certain parts of the game, when you actually do rescue the President's Order, Ashley, she becomes a companion character, and it basically, I was worried it was going to be a big escort quest for the rest of the game but she gets kidnapped quite a few times after that and <laughs> Leon actually, is the worst at his job <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like that it, it really felt like the game developers went yeah this is getting a bit too much let's get her back in chains give, uh, yeah. give the player some breathing room and uh, I really appreciated it for that and there's usually a place you can stick her where she's safe and you can just leave her there until it's time to move on to. Exactly. You can just chuck her in a dumpster for a couple seconds. It's President's daughter, Krish. <laughs> just put her there while you go to work. Exactly. Get some shooting done. I think my biggest complaint would be the standing still shooting mechanics. Um, the tank controls were a little awkward to get used to, but once you did, it, it, it's really just about untraining your brain from modern games where uh, it's all on the one stick on the left stick so left and right isn't strafe it's rotate left and right i don't like that but i got used to it um tank controls tank controls it took a bit of getting used to um luckily i i found out that you could change the controls but Initially, it's mapped so that you have to hold down the right trigger and then press the, the one of the face buttons instead of what I'm used to, where you aim with the left trigger and then shoot with the right trigger. Mm-hmm. But you're locked in place when that happens, and you're very vulnerable. Yeah. yeah, it's important to remember this game was originally made for the GameCube, which kind of accounts for the controls being the way they are. Exactly. Yeah, also with the face button being the shoot button, like that makes a whole lot more sense on a GameCube controller. <laughs> Yeah. All in all, though, I did enjoy my time with it. It was, uh, I feel like this might be a controversial thing to say as well. It's like one of those movies that's so bad, it's good. Um, No, it's so good, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) I think because this is my first time kind of delving into the world of Resident Evil and two and three were really well-crafted horror experiences. And then four feels more action-y and a, a lot more campy. Two and three aren't that camp compared to four the remakes at least well that's because so, the series has gotten less campy as time has gone on because the resident evil 2 and 3 remakes are the most recent games so they have mm-hmm. you know a little bit more of a, a worldly 
quality to them as far as what the audience expects and what English sounds like to English speakers. Uh, that's a reference exactly. to the fact in the original Resident Evil game, uh, it was entirely written in English by people who did not speak English, which was a, a lot of the problems the script had. <laughs> oh yeah, I've you seen were nearly like a, a couple... chill sandwich. Yeah, it's it's not on that level, thankfully, in four, but it is still pretty campy. Um, all in all, I'd still really recommend Resident Evil Four. I can see why it's such a influential game. And why it's the second best game ever made. In your opinion? <laughs> yes, that's an opinion. That is not something it's profound opinion. to say. <laughs> it's it's a recommend, but you have to keep in mind that it is very much a product of its time. If you're used to more modern um, third-person shooters, it will take some adjusting, but it's worth it. Uh, Resident Evil 5, however... <laughs> <laughs> The only way I made it through this one was playing co-op with a friend. Mm. Um, I really Which needed someone. Which is how someone. it was designed, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't I've beaten really it continue. solo. It's miserable. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, I don't think I could stand having an AI companion in this. This time around, you play is Chris Redfield. Um, you go to Africa this time, which... Should start ringing some alarm bells. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, I, I went into this expecting something incredibly racist, but I, I wouldn't say it's racist so much as just slightly tone deaf. It doesn't yeah, really play it, on any stereotypes at all. It's just... It does, though. I mean, like, there's all the, look, the tribal villagers, which uh, I, I talked about this when it oh, launched yeah. on Switch a few years back. Apparently that's accounted for the virus that's involved in the monster making in this one. It makes some of the people devolve into, you know, acting like basically darkest Africa headhunters, which is probably as racist as the game gets. And then, like, everywhere else you go, everything is like a shanty town. And it's like, oh yeah, did you people even go to Africa? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat that Africa is all modern all over the place but it it's still it's one of those things it's when you see australia in popular culture it's always the outback exactly yeah mm -hmm. and we all speak like, like steve Irwin. yeah uh, and something that you know we skip over with resident evil 4 uh people <laughs> yeah. in europe all live in weird little secluded you know little farm settlements that's always yeah. a thing and everything's gothic even though it's spain even in like modern cartoons where they go to England, it's always gothic streets and people wearing old timey outfits because that's what all English people wear, obviously. <laughs> yeah, this this is a yeah. a widespread problem. Yeah, but there are places in Africa <laughs> yeah. that are modern. They're industrialized. You never see them in Resident Evil Five. They may as well not mm -hmm. exist. No. Everywhere is shanty towns and terrorists. That's that's what it is. I guess when I was saying stereotype, I meant more in actual characters. In fact, there yeah. aren't really any named characters from africa as far as i know in the game shiva is she that because she's got a british accent um a slightly Resident british Evil accent game. anyway <laughs> um i guess you if you really wanted to try and treat this as art you could say it's a commentary on colonialism and how it can destroy cultures but i don't think it's self-aware enough to really have anything worthwhile to say but that's not 
like obviously it is a problem, but that's not the problem that I had actually playing the game. And it's because it's just very poorly paced. Um, yeah. It it almost was a fun enough experience as a co-op shooter, but there were some moments with the checkpointing and the level design and the damaged spongy enemies. Uh, my friend at one point just completely gave up in the game and I thought that they were <laughs> not going to rejoin me to finish the game. And well, I was almost with them on that. Resident Evil 4 and 5, they do have built-in balancing where the more you die, the easier the game gets. So you, you do have to mm-hmm. just stick with it. Although I, I completely understand, you know, I've beaten Resident Evil 5. I said it was miserable. So I completely understand giving up before you get to that point where the game has mercy on you. But there is that to keep in mind if you're persistent. Yeah. There, there was just one moment where we had to go around this little combat arena to... Uh, turn these wheels to turn gas off so that the fire could unblock a path. And every time he did it, this guy with a chainsaw would show up mm-hmm. and he just took way too much damage before he died. It was very frustrating because there were three of them around. And then we got to the door. My friend pushed the button to open the door, but it, it, it does that thing where it waits for both players to be ready. But no matter what we tried, it wouldn't give us the prompt for the second player. And if one of you dies, <laughs> you both fail and you have to restart the whole thing um and it was one particular moment that moment where we were just like do we really want to do this see i i I soloed it like many times and i i thought it was all right it definitely wasn't as good as resident evil 4 at all like that's not even a a conversation that needs to be had but i I thought it was fine um i just interrupted it all because i i googled uh shiva yeah she is a native african yeah okay who is whose design was modelled off an Australian actress called Michelle Vanderwater and then was voiced by an American actress called Karen Dyer. Of course. Yeah. Are they both white? Um, Yes, I believe so. Of course. Well, that's... Let me click the link and I shall confirm. Sorry, Tori, just a second. Oh, no, no, no. The voice actress is is black. Okay. Okay. Uh, She is American, but of Jamaican and Irish heritage. I definitely got much more of a, a British accent vibe from her. Well, that goes back to what you said about colonialism, because I've met some people from the Ivory Coast, and if you hadn't told me they were from the Ivory Coast, I would have assumed they were from France. Hmm. Um, and she did receive criticism from several sources for adhering to racial and gendered stereotypes. In her performance? or No, just the character. Oh, oh, Shiva, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and also, all the male gaze, Shiva is literally introduced ass first. So... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Quite, quite common in that era, though. Are you glad you stuck through it just to see Chris punch a boulder? Punch the boulder. <laughs> I lost it at that. The greatest quick time event in history. <laughs> oh, okay, that quick time events. We were getting so frustrated with the quick time events in that too. Quick time events are just generally bad. Yeah. That, that's, that's all yeah, I have was, to say on it, that. It was like Resident Evil 4 did them well, but then the power went to their heads for five, I think. Yeah, I think they got excited because they pulled it off in Resident Evil 4. People at the time generally liked them in Resident Evil 4, but quick time events weren't as saturated as they are now. So mm-hmm. uh, now people are just like, they hate them on site, which who blames them? <laughs> but I don't mind them in Resident Evil 4. Yeah, 4, I, I can't even remember any distinct examples of quick time events, but in 5, it's like, they're, they're, they're going to come up in dreams and stuff. They're not fun (laughs) (laughs) 
because they, uh, they just come up. Sometimes there's a cutscene and a quick time event will pop up. Sometimes it won't. So you never know when they're going to pop up. So sometimes you put your controller down because you're like, I just played through something very stressful and I just want to breathe. Rookie mistake, yeah. if you ask me. Um, and the last boss fight was very poorly communicated to the player on how to actually beat it. We tried the same thing over and over. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. <laughs> so we we still don't know how we beat it. It just felt like luck. So overall, I'd say play it if you have someone to play it with. Just go in knowing that it's not going to be fun all the time. The co-op shooting part of it is fine. But the overall game experience is just, it's a slog. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Uh, I cannot wait to hear your opinions on Six. Six I've already looked up good. some stuff on it. Uh, Six is very much maligned, but um, by the time I got to it and I played through it, and I was like, is this what everyone was complaining about? It's really not as bad as everyone made out. It actually handles really well. Yeah, there are two cam- it, it's sort of split into four different campaigns, uh, and two of them are way better than others. Yeah, Tori, can I give you some uh, advice on Resident Evil 6? Please do. Okay, don't play Leon's campaign first. <laughs> okay. it, it pushes you into playing his campaign first because you have to play a prologue before you can pick another campaign and you play as Leon. And then like the first campaign you can choose in the list is Leon's. His campaign uh, chronologically happens last, so nothing will make sense unless you played the other campaigns first. <laughs> so start with Chris's or start with Sherry's. <laughs> nothing oh, yeah. will make it's, sense it's if you play as Leon. Sherry from Resident Evil 2, right? Yeah, Sherry from yeah. Resident Evil 2. She's all grown up. She has a gun. She kicks butt. And uh, she teams up with this mercenary who also has an interesting backstory. But it's a spoiler, so I won't tell you. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you figure that one out on your own. Um... Yeah, so that's uh, Resident Evil uh, as a series. <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5. Um, you know, I, I, I recommend people both play them. Like, 5 is just such a mess that I think it's worth playing because it's entertaining. Um, and just to see Chris punch a boulder is worth the entry price alone. Oh, yeah. And I'll say this, at least for the Switch versions of Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6, they're probably the best-looking games on the platform. They were phenomenally looking games on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, and that carries over here too. They just they look amazing. Uh, are you planning on playing Revelations, Tori? Yeah, I, I think I want more of that co-op feel, but I think with Resident Evil, I like when it's I feel like it's at its best when it's more horror themed rather mm-hmm. than action themed. You would actually like Revelations then, because they. Uh went back more to the uh, exploring a mansion yeah scary monsters and i think with the co-op you're really gonna like revelations too because it was built around co-op and then there's the raid mode as well yeah i'm I'm looking forward to it all all i'll say for revelations one is you can tell it was a 3ds game but it's still good (laughs) it is it is still good but the second one is just several levels above it that uh yeah um it, it's hard not to look down on it after after playing the second one i think i like the campaign in revelations one better um but again that's probably just because i prefer to play games solo and revelations 2 is built around co-op play but the mm-hmm. raid mode in revelations 2 definitely prefer that i still think it's one of the best <laughs> multiplayer experiences on switch i'm looking forward to them but they really did not name these right <laughs> 
Resident <laughs> Evil. Like it works for the first one. <laughs> and there's a well, the the in Japan it's Biohazard, which yeah. kind of gives away the the spoiler because half the fun in the first one was trying to figure out what the hell had happened there. A Biohazard. Yeah, exactly. And uh, rumor has it there is a Revelations three in development for Switch. It just hasn't been announced yet, but should be announced yes, soon. Yes, please. Um, yeah, it's it's a a wild series that goes in many different directions, and I I can't help but love it, even when it's at its goofiest, and even when it's at its scariest. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Resident Evil four and five. We'll uh, move on now to Bravely Default two, which we should have talked about last week, but uh, Andrew got his copy fairly late and mine hadn't arrived in time at all so uh, i finally got three days with it i've made very little progress but i'm gonna get into why that is <laughs> in a minute it's not my fault uh so bravely default 2 is the third in the series the previous two were on 3ds this is an all new story uh where you don't have to have any knowledge of the previous games to jump into this one uh, Bravely Default is inspired by classic turn-based 90s JRPGs. Uh, it's almost a spin-off of the Final Fantasy series. You've got the four heroes of light. There's a lot of uh, Final Fantasy item naming in here, such as Phoenix Downs, etc. Uh, and you stick with the same four characters throughout the whole campaign, uh, which is Seth, who you name whatever, uh, Gloria, Elvis, who's Scottish, doesn't talk with uh, <laughs> the Elvis accent, unfortunately. Oh, I really um, wish he spoke with a Tennessee accent now. That would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Adele. Uh, and But yeah, basically just like old Final Fantasy, they're on a quest to recover four elemental crystals that uh, are they're in danger and is putting the world into jeopardy. Yeah, there's a, with the characters, there's a whole wide range of accents in this one. Me and Andrew were laughing at... Uh, the hilariously named Dag, who's an Australian knight who's a bad guy, uh, who's going around calling everyone Drongos. In terms of Australian accents in games, I think that's probably a good one, as stereotyped as it is. But yeah, there's a there's a whole range of like nationalities doing the voice acting in the English commentary here. Sorry, in the in the English voice track, uh, I th- I thought that was pretty decent. Um, I do have that thing with fantasy where it never makes sense to me to have American accents. Uh, I always feel fantasy sits better with British accents, which is why I love the Xenoblade yeah. uh, voiceovers. I always struggled with The Witcher with uh, Triss. And, you know, it's, it's it's believable that people in fantasy worlds would have different accents, but I just really struggle with the American one. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I'm not that far enough in the story where I can really say that it's any good but i'm enjoying it for what it is at the moment which is a story from a an old school jrpg uh what chapter are you on andrew i think i'm getting to the end of chapter one i'm playing on hard so i'm having to put a little more effort to get through all the different dungeons uh, but i mm-hmm. i just beat the Beastmaster. Uh, i'm just starting chapter one uh and well let's get into it about what what the whole uh the whole thing with bravely default is so um instead of having your characters with preset classes that gain skills as they uh level up and that's all they can ever do uh this uses the job system uh where the characters have to collect these items called asterisks uh, and they will open up a different job for each one you collect 
So you start off with your main character as a freelancer. You get uh, Elvis and Adele will join you, and they've already got... Um, I think Adele's a freelancer and Elvis is, is your black mage. Uh, so really you have two uh, XP bars that you need to keep filling up. So one is your standard XP for your character level. The other one is you're getting job points for your uh, job. And that will level up. Every time you level up a job, you'll get a new ability. That could be something like a, a new spell or a new attack. Or it could be a passive ability that you can set so uh, the freelancer has some incredibly useful ones which relate to getting job points which can effectively give you like a 70 percent boost if you uh, assign those yeah the only downside is you only have five like little points you yeah. can uh assign to different passive skills you've unlocked for your jobs and getting that 70 percent job point boost takes up three-fifths of your your points mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot so it's it's good but it's kind of a double-edged sword yeah it, it's very useful for when you're trying to level up a job uh but then if you jump into a boss fight and you know you, you're not desperate to progress any of the jobs you can get rid of them and put in different useful abilities that can help you in combat or help you in the dungeon but yeah uh pro tip level up freelancer <laughs> as quickly as you can also because the freelancer's ultimate ability uh increases the percentage power of the freelancer's stats depending upon mm -hmm. the number of jobs you have mastered so when you get to the end of the game and you've mastered like seven or eight jobs on each character your freelancer has access to all of their skills and all their passives and gets a stat boost out of it so uh, that you're you're intentionally meant to kind of build a munchkin there that way. Um, so the the job system for me, uh, so I, it's something I've loved in uh, like Final Fantasy three. I, I loved it in uh, Final Fantasy five. Um, and what this really does for me is give me reward for grinding. Whereas in you know standard JRPGs, without the job system, you, you're kind of grinding just to get your level uh, your stats up. So you're suitable to beat certain bosses or certain enemies. Whereas in this, like every job level you go up, you're rewarded with something really cool. That is, uh, I'm finding that quite addictive. So the reason I haven't progressed is because I became obsessed with getting these starting jobs maxed for, uh, you know, at least a couple of the characters. So I, I've just literally been running around in uh, early dungeons with for minimal job points just to hit that <laughs> hit that target and at the start of chapter one you go to like this deserty area and it introduces you to the idea of uh battle chaining where you can uh, like activate more than one enemy on the map at a time and then you'll have consecutive battles to get through and that will give you a uh, a job point boost um yeah so that that's where i got to before i stopped playing uh, today I was just about to enter the, the first story location of chapter one, but uh, this is a, a tactic that is not going to be sustainable for me. Uh, I'm going to have to shake that off pre pretty quickly, I think. At, at least until I find an area where uh, enemies will drop way more job points. Uh, that that tends to be the norm in games like these. Yeah, how are you, Andrew? Because you strike me as quite a methodical person with this sort of stuff. I, I wonder if you're in the same boat. Yes, but also not at the cost of stopping my forward momentum like I i'm mm -hmm. air quotes grinding just like you are i'm fighting everything that gets in my way but i'm still pressing onward towards the next objective which is why i've downed the Beastmaster. even though i think actually in terms of progress you're further with the jobs than i am but I i'm doing the same thing you are i'm trying to cap freelancer with every character and also i want to max out 
black mage and white mage jobs with all the characters too because the black mage gets a passive skill that regenerates their mana every turn when it's nighttime the white mage gets a passive that regenerates their mana every turn when it's daytime you put both of those together your character is regenerating mana every turn all the time Mm -hmm. so i really want those skills because a big pet peeve of mine in 90s rpgs and even rpgs today although i don't see it much in rpgs today is when your character is a spellcaster but doesn't have enough mana to use their spells it was a serious problem back in old rpgs it was mm-hmm. like a, it was just convention back then i don't know why they did it rpgs today they seem to have figured out that people want to use the skills their character has instead of just whacking them with enemies with a stick and saving all their mana for a boss that's effective but boring so (laughs) i i want to be able to use my character's skills and i also want to be able to do it without my mana you know immediately draining out so that way that character becomes useless because they can't use their spells anymore uh (laughs) bravely default 2 if you put the work in to getting the jobs leveled up you can bypass that particular problem of rpg design yeah i'm uh i'm gonna try and manage my uh ocd with the jobs by trying to limit as best I can, like characters to certain types. Um, so I, I, I've read up front basically that uh, Elvis and Gloria are best suited to magic. Mm. So I'm just going to focus those guys on on the magic stuff. Uh, maybe do some like job leveling on the others uh, for that, or save. You know, when I eventually get red mage, might you know make those red mages just to bolster when I need more magic abilities. But yeah, just just to sort of manage my own thing I'm, I'm a sucker for ruining games for myself in this way so uh just got to manage self-manage as well as manage my uh my virtual squad as well <laughs> uh yeah and sticks uh stick with uh seth and adele as like my uh my dps's and uh you know getting as much dam you know physical damage for those as as i can so yeah maxed out vanguard for those two mm. i've just started them on the path of monk and i'm just waiting to get the next magic ability for for the other two yeah the, you mentioned beastmaster so i imagine you get the the beastmaster job from that um that is a class i have barely touched in games of this ilk and i've never yeah. felt compelled to use most it. most games they don't implement it in a way that it's particularly enjoyable to use it's a lot of extra work like okay like i think uh octopath traveler is a good example it has a beastmaster class Mm -hmm. in it you capture a monster you you can use it once and it's like oh great now i've used it now i have to go get another if i want to use it again so it just adds another layer of mandatory grinding just to have your beastmaster class uh be useful (laughs) so uh, Mm -hmm. i haven't but then there are games like uh, Final Fantasy VII has the, the yellow materia, which the enemy skill materia, which is kind of that game's version of the Beastmaster where you can actually learn enemy skills, and that's a lot more useful. So I, I haven't really looked at how the Beastmaster class actually works in this game. It could be a lot more useful. It could be like more like a Mons fighter where like you catch a beast and you can just keep using it. That would be nice. But if it's like Octopath Traveler, you catch a beast, you can use it once, then it's gone. No, I'm not even going to waste my time with that. (laughs) Not when I can just use another class which is just as strong and doesn't require extra grinding to do. Now, here's the thing I haven't figured out yet. Um, If you have uh, unlocked a bunch of passive skills and you are listed as that job as your main job, do you still need to 
apply those skills as abilities or are they automatically active well you can assign a main job and a sub job and your main job Mm -hmm. can use any skill you've unlocked for your main job your sub job can use any skill you've unlocked for your sub job but your sub job those skills are going to be weaker so like right Mm -hmm. now gloria on my my team is trying to level level her up as a freelancer but i have her white mage job mastered so i have that set as my sub job so she can be a backup healer but her healing spells are significantly weaker than my other white mage adele right now and even though her job isn't mastered she's a much better healer with the white mage as a main job mm-hmm. than as a sub job yeah so uh, let's talk about what uh the name bravely default actually means then so uh, when you get into combat you have two options uh, on top of your normal attacks and skills uh so brave allows you to take uh, more than one move than uh, per turn so you can have up to four uh default lets you bank your turn uh gives you a defensive posture so when when you start a fight you can actually uh go into negative numbers with your brave attack straight away uh whereas defaulting allows you to to bank them so you can build up the capital uh to have uh, a full set of uh, attacks in the future uh which kind of um it's a hard system to explain so apologies if anyone's lost where where that adds the strategy is um for say if a boss is uh, weak to a certain type of attack you can have your character that can deal that type of attack uh, default for four turns and then hit the enemy for massive damage a number of times uh, later in the fight which is it, it's adds an interesting uh, strategy uh, on top of the normal jrpg strategy of you know trying to figure out their patterns uh, their weaknesses. Okay, uh, one of the first boss fights in the game is you're fighting against a, a knight and a white mage duo. You're like your enemies have those asterisks. You don't have them yet, and you really need them. Uh, and the enemies give a pretty great example of how powerful those jobs are, because uh, the white mage will just keep healing the knight if you don't take her down. Uh, but the problem is the white mage is actually fast enough and has enough hit points that she can just keep healing through you no matter what you do. Uh, so you have to bank up those brave points by defaulting every turn and then nuke her down all in one turn. And even that has a little mm-hmm. more complication to it because uh, I had to get her down to about a thousand hit points. And then at that point, all I really had as jobs was freelancers and black mage. So all my everybody was a freelancer except for Elvis, who is my black mage. So... I had my freelancers whittle the white mage down to about a thousand hit points, which is about the point where she would then heal herself back to almost full. Then I would uh, just brave four times with Elvis and nuke her with his best spells four times in one turn to take her down. Because if I did it any other way, she would just heal through the damage. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the strategy you follow through most of the game, I found, actually. Like uh, yeah. on probably the normal difficulty, you can probably just immediately brave yourself into negatives on every fight and just nuke enemies down without actually taking much damage although if you don't take out the entire enemy party you're probably going to take a lot of damage while waiting for your your brave to recover back to zero that way you can take turns again and you have lowered defense while that happens so if you mess up you're gonna get a world of hurt (laughs) but the strategy seems to be get 
to a place where you can expel all your brave points and then just nuke the enemy in one turn to take them out, and then that significantly reduces the damage you take whittling an enemy down turn by turn by turn like you would in any other RPG. But the game is also balanced, mm-hmm. so that way that's not always the viable option, and if you ignore it, then you're also going to be hurt a lot more than you would otherwise. So uh, There are a couple of other things to talk about combat. Uh, so quite often you will get a, another character who will join you who you can't control, but they will chip in uh, with help when you need it. The first one of which is Sir Sloan, which is a servant of uh, one of your characters, Gloria. Um, or as I'm going to call him, Obi Sloan Kenobi. Uh, for, for reasons you will discover if you play the game. You can also get bonus brave points by striking an enemy before you trigger the fight. So in in the old games, the the battles were, you know, random encounters where you could turn up the encounter rate or turn it down when you just wanted to blast through the story. Um, here they're they're all on the map screen as you're running around, and uh, if they're significantly more powerful than you, they will make a beeline for you, which gives you like a, a moment of panic because you you rush to strike them first to give yourself a bit of an advantage. And also, and I love this in JRPGs, but when uh, you're way stronger than an enemy, they will run away from you, uh, which is a nice visual indicator of uh, what sort of stage you need to be at at the game. For the, for the particular area. But because I've been doing all that grinding for the jobs, most of the enemies are, are weaker and are running away from me. So that, yeah, <laughs> I, I've missed out in that respect as well. I'm in the same place, but I'm playing on hard. So even the enemies who run away from me, they still put up a pretty decent fight unless I'm mm. not paying attention, then they just annihilate me. <laughs> um, there are a bunch of features here as well that do make grinding uh, more enjoyable and, and easier. So... Anytime in combat, you can change the battle speed uh, up to four levels and drop it down whenever you like. Uh, you can also remember your turn. So you can just hit the Y button and it'll give you your last attack and you can just commit to doing that. Uh, so I, you know, I'll get to an area, I'll figure out what I need to beat the enemies that I'm facing. At the moment, it's mainly just brave four times and hit them with physical attacks. Uh, and then, yeah, just keep doing that and leveling up quickly that way yeah I, I like that a lot uh there is some other stuff so there's there's lots of uh, places to explore the maps are big and sprawling there's uh, chests hidden everywhere uh you can cut grass which is new for this one i think you can uncover secrets in in the long grass much like a zelda game thankfully i haven't gone ocd on that because i would be there forever because there is a lot of grass in this game. And the pickup prompt takes forever. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done much of the side quests yet? I've done all the ones that have come up. I've been surprised how the side quests are pretty different from they were in the original Bravely Default. Like in the original, if you wanted asterisks, you had to do a side quest to get it for the most part. In this game, uh, again, I'm only getting to the end of chapter one, so I haven't seen by any degree m- the majority of this game yet, but... Uh, all the asterisks have been given to me as part of the plot so far, and the side quests have been very forgettable, <laughs> like fetch quests that have absolutely nothing to do with the plot for the most part. So, so far, I, I preferred the side quests in the original over this. Yeah, I've also read that they're pretty much useless, uh, and so far the ones I've done, the items have just been not really worth the time and effort so far. So. Yeah, I just use them as an excuse um, to grind more. 
So <laughs> I got to walk to a place, fight enemies along the way. That's how I grind. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, the first side quest they give you, they kind of force you into it uh, and they'll give you a boat, uh, which uh, when you get to, to towns, you can then send out onto the water and it's like a, a passive thing. You can like turn the game off or sorry, put your console into sweep, uh, sleep mode or uh, just keep playing and it'll pick things up in the background for you. So it'll find items and, and goodies and... Uh, and all those sorts of good stuff. That's pretty neat. I like smart use of downtime. Yeah, it, it's basically, it's street pass, but it uses the internet instead of, you know, street yeah. pass. Because street yeah. pass is an idea that only works in Japan and nowhere else. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I use street pass almost every day. Street pass was a 3DS feature. Uh, Google it if you want to know more. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, but I would use that every day. And I live in a fairly highly populated urban environment and i would get maybe one or two connections on a good day and then one day i went to uh, a retro games convention and i was just blown away because i just got hundreds of connections i was like oh <laughs> this is how street pass is supposed to work <laughs> uh, when the 3ds first came out um we were living in a more remote area so yeah we'd have to go to the the local mall and hang around outside an electronic sh- shop to hit theirs and you could tell the staff members always knew what we were up to. They never complained, though. But yeah, once we moved into a more populated area, like I was getting them in the city quite regularly. It was, you know, pretty fun um, as a as a side thing. But yeah, uh, big fan of that uh, that element waking. You, you can get reward for just you know leaving the game on while you go do something else. I, I like that. And that that's about where I'm up to at the moment. Um, so far, it seems like we're going through the, the RPG checklist of environments. We've had the, the opening green grassy area. I'm now in the deserty area. I look forward to the ice and fire levels. Have you got much else to say about it? Not really. I mean, I don't think anything we've said so far is going to be revelatory or even uh, enticing to anybody who's played a 90s RPG. This is a very throwback style thing. It does nothing new, really. Uh, it's just there to pluck your nostalgia, basically. <laughs> I think you already know if you're going to like this game or not. Uh, and, uh, of course, the visuals tie into that nostalgia as a 3D realized version of the old uh, chibi-style sprites. Um, I'm really loving how this looks on Switch compared to 3DS. I, I mm. really love the visual style. The lighting and the textures are just they're amazing. And I love the the painterly environments when you get to cities and you can click the R, R stick down to to look at it in full and you know everything looks beautiful and well animated and even in like the visual novel style discussions that the characters have I love the interactions so uh, like uh, Dag punched an old man <laughs> in one of the early dialogues and that took me by surprise and that was delightful as as awful as the the actual action was. <laughs> um yeah just a, a very beautiful game visually i'm i'm finding um i think s- some people will be turned off by the the chibi nature of it but you know i i, I dig it and i get exactly what they're they're going for now tori we were giving you some serial peer pressure over Wait, the last you? week and you yeah oh. <laughs> there, there may have it. been some slack slack call outs so you, you've downloaded the demo did you start the demo yes and I did a battle and then I got to the town and I went, I'm not really in the mood for this right now. I, I I think I would like it, to be honest. I did enjoy the first Bravely Default 
Um, my problem was playing in handheld for a JRPG for too long. I might get this down the line, but I've been playing so many action-y games lately that it's kind of hard to shift gears right now. <laughs> but I, I think it is on my radar. Well, that's good. We, we've uh, turned you around in one way at least. <laughs> yeah, you win. Peer pressure works again. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I think that's it for episode 144. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Sorry, we already mentioned yours, Resident Evil 6. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all I'm playing, though. All, all I will say about that is that, you know, you'll you'll have a time. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> it's certainly a video game you'll be playing. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's a good game. I don't care. I love it, but I love it for the same reasons I love Resident Evil 5. It's just wild. I don't love it. I just like it, and it's better than Resident Evil 5, so that's why I like it. <laughs> I agree with you as well. <laughs> and Andrew? I've got Crash Bandicoot 4 Switch port pre-ordered, but I'm getting all kinds of static about my delivery dates coming up, um, so that's going to be an ongoing problem, it looks like. Because uh, the same thing that happened to Hellpoint happened to Crash 4, and who knows what else it's going to happen to. Better not happen to Monster Hunter. I'm going to be annoyed if it does. Uh, but if Crash 4 doesn't get delivered, there's a, a game out called Alchemy Simulator that the the trailer kind of looked like fun. Uh, so I'll look at that instead. Nice. Uh, for me, I'm going to keep on going with Bravely Default 2. And at some point during the week, I'm going to start Kronos Before the Ashes. Uh, so hopefully I will be reporting on that next week. Um, at this point, I'm kind of hanging out for Monster Hunter. I'm very, very excited for Monster Hunter. Uh, and as much as I'm enjoying Bravely Default 2, I'm kind of angry at it for not being Monster Hunter, which is not its fault. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to also check out our sister shows, PlayState for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Link for all of these are in our show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The details for both of those things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andy, and you can follow him at Flame Roast Toast on Twitter, as well as Andrew at Play Critically and his long-form reviews at playcritically.com, and myself at Stew2, S-T-W-T-W-O.
Okay, Tori, you can do the ending. Oh, can I now? <sighs> Please. Yeah, no, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm <laughs> doing it. I'll get home it. with. No, I was joking. <laughs> get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it in my head. Okay. Now you need to talk it into the microphone. I'm already halfway through. All right. 